We've been teaching in the book of Second Peter, and let's open our Bibles to Second Peter, the second chapter, and we got down to verse twelve. Second Peter, chapter two, beginning with verse twelve, and we were talking about the false uh, teachers, as is referred to in verse one. If you look back in verse one, it says. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And the whole subject of this chapter uh, carried on through is the fact that in Peter's day there were false teachers, and he prophesied that there would be more yet to come. And he tells of their nature and character and, and what they do and how God has reserved judgment for them. And also right here he says in verse 12, you have it, 2 Peter 2, verse 12, But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, corrupting the word of truth, and in their own corrupt ways they shall bring upon themselves destruction. Now, if you have that, let's look at it. They speak evil of things that they understand not. How many times have you heard the simple, fundamental truths of the gospel spoken evil of by people that think they know something and do not understand them? When you say that we're saved by grace through faith, they, that can't be, and they speak evil of that way. When we speak of the person of Christ, that he is indeed God manifest in the flesh, they speak evil of that way and try to make uh, Christ a, an ordinary human being or like a prophet or something. You remember Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, Some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. But he says, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter, by the Holy Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so we see that uh, people speak evil of the ways of truth. And many times I've preached the word of truth and people will speak, uh, have spoken evil of that way. And you take it right out of the Bible and the fundamental truths, just a plain, simple, uh, fundamental gospel doctrines of grace and of salvation through the atonement of Christ, the substitutionary work of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the literal the actual death and literal resurrection of Christ, and his ascending back to the right hand of God, the fact that he is seated on the right hand of God and will come back again, and people speak evil of that way. And there are plenty of people that'll do it. If you're not if you don't believe so, you just start preaching those fundamental things and you'll see how much opposition you run against because the devil is always ready to try to destroy the truth. And don't think that he's uh, not on, uh, on uh, the job day and night. And he's ever uh, trying to destroy. And he does it through false prophets and false teachers. And it says here, they speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 13, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. They are unrighteous, and they'll receive that kind of... A payment or judgment, as they that counted pleasure to riot in the daytime. Look how full of meaning these verses are. We, we can't just take it all as one big uh, 
plate in each verse because it's divided into several thoughts. And when it says they speak, uh, they uh, count it pleasure to write in the daytime. You know, most of the people that uh, live in uh, riotous and ungodly uh, and worldly and sensual life do it under the cover of darkness. In other words, that's usually at night and in the darkness when these uh, evil kinds of goings on uh, take place. But these are so boisterous and so blatant that they count it pleasure to write in the daytime. You see, they make it more uh, blasphemous by the way they live openly before others. In other words, they could care less about their testimony. In fact, they don't have any. And you know, let, let me say this in all fairness, that we as Christians need to guard against even a little bit of falling into worldliness in uh, our lives as Christians or else we're going to bring reproach on the name of the Lord. Christians ought to be different people. We ought to live differently. We ought to associate with, with Christian people and not live like the world in the flesh and the devil. And, beloved, uh, you know, God's Word says that the foundation of the Lord standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Some belong to the Lord. And he says, and let ever listen, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, in other words, declares himself to be a Christian, depart from iniquity. In other words, God has separated you to himself so that he knows you if you're his child. And then he says, if you claim to be his child, you depart from iniquity. If you name his name as a Christian, you depart from iniquity. So it says, they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. It says, spots they are and blemishes. In other words, their lives are uh, to be seen as having spots and blemishes, and we would say as far as their character is concerned. Plenty of spots and blemishes on their character. Sporting themselves with their own uh, deceivings. They say it's all right. Have you ever noticed how that uh, even backslidden Christian people, now we're talking here in, in the extreme, these were false prophets. These people were very ungodly. But even a backslidden Christian can so justify himself in the thing he does. In other words, it just seems to be all right regardless of how they know deep down that that life they're living is, is not right. And that their conscience is convicting them and yet they, if they love it enough, they want to find some way of justifying themselves in their ungodly pursuits, in their unchristlike uh, lifestyle. And we have... Uh, multitudes of people that profess to be Christians that by the way they live you can't tell a bit of difference between them and the, and the unsaved man in the world because there is no difference in their lives and God is either going to chasten them and bring them back or they're going to bring much chastening and judgment upon themselves because they refuse to walk with God and I'm not talking about God having a big stick and beating everyone. I'm talking about the fact that in love, the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And uh, most of God's children know when his stroke is upon them that they are not living as God would have them live. It's not like uh, uh, we're saying that uh, uh, a legalistic system. It's... The fact that God does love his own children and he doesn't want them to continue in sin. And so he does something to change their course of life. 
And he does that not because he, he's mad at them or because he wants to, to beat them, but because he wants to chasten them and correct them and bring them back to himself. So these people, though, were different. They were sold out to sin. It says, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. In other words, they have a kind of a communion with the church and with the people of God. While they feast with you. They like to associate with the people of God, but they desecrate the things of God. They desecrate the house of God. They desecrate the fellowship of God's people. Have you ever noticed, well, Paul deals with this subject when he's talking about these Corinthians that were gathered together. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They were gathered together to take the Lord's Supper. And let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to turn. But hold your place now where we're studying. Always hold that place. It says in verse 18, For first of all, when ye come together in the church, that's the local church where you come together to take the Lord's Supper, by the way, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In fact, uh, if you have a marginal reference, it says you cannot. You cannot eat the Lord's Supper. That means that they cannot, under those conditions, be prepared to partake spiritually of the Lord's Supper. And he goes on to explain, For in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So Paul, in rebuking those that, that desecrated and uh, disrupted the love feasts of the early church, and especially not only after their regular food or meal, which they had already desecrated, they were certainly not prepared then to take a memorial supper to recognize the body, uh, broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, so he says you cannot take the Lord's Supper under these uh, circumstances. And if you turn back in First Peter, I mean Second Peter chapter two, I want you to notice. It says, while they feast with you. And that's the kind of feast it's talking about. But they're having a part and a place in the in a kind of a communion of the church, and yet they desecrate the holy and right things of God. It goes on in verse 14. Now remember, this is describing these false prophets and false teachers. It says, having eyes full of adultery, if you have a marginal reference, it says an adulteress. There's always an adulteress of fantasy before their eyes. They are sensual and they're uh, corrupt in their thinking all the time. They cannot and that cannot cease from sin. In other words, they're so tied up with sensual desires and and feelings and thoughts that they cannot cease from sin. It reminds me of the uh, devil's work today in putting pornography before people to try to get uh, all of this before their eyes continually. And you know some people get caught up in those things. We've seen preachers fall by it, haven't we? And it's, it's a terrible thing. But they get all wrapped up in it, and the first thing you know, that's all they can think of. 
Have you seen these fellows running around book stands and getting these magazines all the time? They just can't. You see them just grabbing those books and standing there and they'll read the whole thing. You walk by to buy a coat or something, you see them standing there. Boy, they can't let go of them. I don't know if they don't have money enough to buy it or what, but they're going to read them all because they're so caught up in that. And beloved, you and I better uh, be careful that we do not get enticed into looking at things that are not good for us. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. It flashes on the screen all the time on television, and it's up to you to push the button on that channel and change it to something that is a little more acceptable. And if you don't, if you don't... uh, uh, police yourself. No one's going to stand there and look over your shoulder and try to correct you. You're going to have to correct yourself in these th- things. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Now look, beguiling unstable souls. Look, they're laying bait for souls that are unstable. Souls that uh, ha- have not been grounded in the Word of God. Have you ever noticed the cult? around you, the false religions round about you, there's different cults of religion, religion so-called, that they prey on people that are not grounded in the Word of God. That's exactly the one they want after. They don't want to go out and win a soul. They don't want to go out and tell someone that Jesus died for their sins and that He will save them if they will turn to Him and be saved. They want to go out and proselyte and try to mix up everybody that has any kind of a Christian profession at all, that if they're unstable, they can uh, pull them in, beguiling unstable souls. In other words, they know they're disturbed, and so they're going to disturb them a little more, win them over to their, their proselyting. And instead of letting that soul that's unstable remain in the church where his profession of faith uh, was made, and uh, trying to encourage him to get back in the house of God and be taught the Word of God, they want to draw him away and get him more mixed up than he is to start with. That's where, where, that's where all the cults uh, pry and pray on these different uh, ones that are not grounded. That's why you need to be in the house of God. You need to read your Bible, and you need to be taught the Word of truth. And you can tell whether or not it's the truth if you let God's Holy Spirit open your heart to receive it. And if, if from this pulpit or from the Sunday school classes, if we ever are teaching you something that's false, you contest it. And you say, I want to know where you get that. Right? The Bible says that in the days of the Apostle Paul, Paul says the Berean Christians were more noble, now listen carefully, than those of Thessalonica, in that they searched the Scriptures, the Word daily, to see if those things that Paul preached were so, were true. They examined the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And they had a right to. And Paul didn't put them down for it. He commended them for it. And so the Word of God will stand on its own. And so you, it's your business and mine to realize that the unstable ones are the uh, prime targets of the cults round about us. And it's a sad thing, but that's who they're going to work on. They're going to work on a, uh, a Baptist that's just gotten in church and has hardly been taught anything that doesn't know what we stand for or believe, doesn't know the fundamentals of the faith. They're going to work on a Methodist that's been to church a few times and hadn't been there long, Presbyterian that has not been grounded in the Word, or they'll work on a Catholic, or they'll work on anyone else that they can work on that is not uh, really active in the church and is not really being fed the Word of God. 
And these cults will work on that kind. The false preachers, the false teachers, that's the subject here of Peter. Peter knew what they were doing. He says they go about beguiling unstable souls. And it says, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices. They're covetous. They want uh, money for their work in the ministry. Increase of money. Pay us and we'll do it. You know. And the more they can get, the, the more they're after. Covetousness, Paul says, is idolatry. Did you know that? You say, I'm not an idol worshiper. Well, if you're covetous, you're an idolater. I didn't say that. God's Word says that. That's one thing I like to stand on. You know, I don't have to worry whether I'm telling you the truth or not, because if you accept this is truth, that's what I'm going to preach. And then when I get through, you say, Brother Joyce, you said I was an idolater. No, I said if you were covetous, you were an idolater, didn't I? And I didn't say that. Paul said it. So the Word of God said it. So don't accuse me. Accuse the Bible. And so if we can stand on the Word of God, we don't have anything to fear. And that's where we should stand. And if we can't back up what we say with the Word of God, we shouldn't say it in the first place. Amen? Okay, look at this. It says, Cursed children. They're children of a curse. They're cursed children. Instead of blessed children, they're cursed children. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. There is a right way. They knew about it, but they forsaken it. They wouldn't follow it. Maybe they knew the right way. We're going to see on down that they really knew the way of righteousness, but they turned from it. What caused them to turn away from the way of righteousness? What causes people to turn away? It's unbelief and rebellion against the truth. Now, many people that have heard the, the gospel preached, many people that have heard the word of God preached, have so resisted the truth and hardened their hearts against the truth that they turn away from it. They know what it says. They know that it's true. They see others walking by that uh, standard, and yet they turn away from it because they do not want to be brought under its power and control and, and influence. You and I need to be submissive, right? You know, I love that scripture in the Old Testament where it says there was a vessel that was marred on the wheel, and the potter says, I want to make it again another vessel. And we're like marred vessels in a sense. We're, we're marred by sin and Satan and the fall, by Adam's fall. We're sinners by nature and by choice and by practice. And we need to be made again another vessel. And you know all that clay does? It just, it's just submissive to the hands of the potter. The potter is the one that makes it again another vessel. And you and I, the only way that we'll ever be anything in the sight of God is let God make us and mold us after his will. We sing a song. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I'm waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I'm the potter, thou art the clay. And so we've got to learn to submit to the word of God, to the will of God, and uh, not resist and not uh, rebel against the word of God. So it says here, They've forsaken the right way and are gone astray, Following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You see, he was the kind that wanted uh, to, to do his prophesying for gain. He made a deal to get money out of it. The more he could get, the better off he was. And by the way, this Balaam, he instructed... I could go back and give you the record, and I won't turn back to give you all the verses, because if you've got references in the reference... Bible, you can go back and study some of these things for yourself that would take a whole night to cover this one verse. But he, Balaam, encouraged the 
young Moabitish women to entice the young Israelitish men and defile them and lead them into uh, to, uh, adultery and fornication and idolatry. So he was evil in his design. Now, of course, at one time he was told to curse the children of Israel and God said, you know, even though he wanted to do that, he wanted to follow the instructions that he was to curse the children of Israel, yet he couldn't do it because God wouldn't let him do it. God says, you're not going to do that. You may want to, but you're not going to do it. It, was, it didn't relieve him of the sin of it because he still wanted to do it. But it, re, it, it kept him from doing it because God says, I will not permit it. And you can go back and read the record of this. It says, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now look, in verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Remember the the donkey on which he was riding went through the place there and, and old Balaam kept hitting the donkey and striking him and trying to get him to go on and, and the donkey had more sense than Balaam. Finally, God spoke through the donkey. He spoke to Balaam. You go back and read the record of it. Uh, I won't turn to it because it'll take all the time. But you can go back and read the record of it. And he forbade the madness of the prophet. He says, haven't I carried you wherever you wanted to go? And I've been faithful to take you all these places. And I've carried you on my back. And he says, now you don't want to do what God wants you to do, so to speak. Now you're rebellious. And now you're beating me because I've been faithful to you. Well, that's the way a lot of people are there. They do not appreciate a good thing. They do not appreciate the blessings of God. Balaam didn't. And the, he was rebuked. You know, I'm going to preach a uh, message one of these days on strange preachers. Strange preachers. That donkey was a strange preacher to Balaam, wasn't it? He was. Sometimes a fish can be a strange... You know, that fish that uh, they, were, they caught to pay the taxes with was a strange preacher. He told them where faith was and, and trust in God and so on. And the, the rooster that crowed, you know, he was a strange preacher strange preacher to old Peter, wasn't he? God said, Peter, you said you wouldn't deny me, but before the cock crow uh, twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. He says, before the cock crows, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And so when that cock crowed, I'm sure it says Peter saw Jesus coming out of the judgment hall and it says he remembered the word of the Lord and he went out and wept bitterly. And just as that rooster crowed, he thought, "Uh uh-oh, that reminds me what Jesus said. And the Word of God comes right back home through strange preachers. Well, we'll do that sometime. Look at this. In verse uh, 17, These are wells without water. These false preachers, these false prophets, these false teachers. And if you want to know the subject, look back in verse 1. There shall be false teachers among you. Right? That's who we're talking about. Verse 1 says, There shall be false teachers among you who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now then you have verse uh, 17. It says, These are wells without water. In other words, by profession as teachers, they should uh, furnish the water of life to souls that were thirsty, as Brother Randy and Vicky were singing earlier. Thirsty souls for water the water of life, for salvation. And by their profession, they should be able to, to give out the water of life 
tell of Jesus who is the Savior. He says, Whosoever shall drink of this water shall never thirst. Whosoever eateth this bread shall never thirst. But this uh, water of life that he spoke of in John 4 shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus said, I can quench your thirst and I can quench your hunger. I can satisfy your hunger. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. Very last book of the Bible. Let me read it for you. You know, the last invitation of the Bible is of this nature. Turn to Revelation 22 and hold your place there where we're studying. Revelation 22 and verse uh, 17. Well, let's read verse 16 and 17. It says, I, Jesus, Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, the last invitation of the Bible. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you the unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that, that heareth say, Come. And let him that is at thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. He says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth, if you hear it, say, Come. The church says to come. The one that hears is to say, come. And he says, and whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. And so uh, these people, back in Second Peter now, chapter 2, verse 17, says, these are wells without water. You know, there's not much, of a, not, not much worse of a thing to, to do is to go to a well that's supposed to have water and draw, uh, it's dry. There's nothing there. They're wells without water. And then it says, notice, they're clouds that are carried with a tempest. In other words, clouds. Have you ever seen out in the plains where the, you needed rain in time of drought and you see the clouds start forming and you think, oh boy, we're going to get a rain. And all of a sudden you see the wind and the tempest, the, the movement of the uh, atmosphere taking those clouds away they just leave they're gone no hope of rain anymore that's like these they promise rain but they don't give it the drought's still there these teachers promise to give you something and they don't have anything to give they're teachers that have not the ability to instruct I wonder how many people throughout the land go to the house of God on Sunday expecting the teacher to get up and feed them something and to instruct them in the word of truth and come away hungry and unfed and disappointed because they haven't heard anything. Brother, listen, I know that to be the case. All over the land, that, that's true in many instances. People want something. They go to hear it. They don't hear it. You know what? The Word of God is neglected. And they're false. They're professors that profess to give them something, and they don't have the ability to instruct them. And that's sad. And then we wonder why people stay out of the house of God. A lot of times it's not their own fault. They go for something that's not there. Now, we ought to encourage people to come and, and receive the in our Sunday school classes and in the church to, here today the word of truth because we teach and preach the Bible. We believe in preaching and in teaching in, in every class. We should call ours an all-Bible Sunday school. We should stick to the word of God. If God hasn't said it, it shouldn't be taught. If it's not God's Word, we ought to leave it off. If it's the Word of God, we ought to teach it and teach it faithfully. Well, anyway, notice this. It says, uh, 
cows that are carried with a tempest. They're like sowing the seed with no uh, seed in the basket to sow into the ground. They have no seed. The seed is the Word of God. Now look in the last part of verse 17. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. In other words, for them there is eternal separation. For false professors, for false teachers, is the subject in verse 1. There is reserved, the mist of darkness is reserved forever. If you turn to Matthew 8, let's see what verse it is. I believe it's verse, uh, I've got a reference here that I can't hardly see. Let's try 42, Matthew 8, and maybe we can see it. Matthew 8, well, it's not 42, but uh, it's 12, it's 12. Matthew 8, verse 12, it says, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. You see, that's the mist of darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it's not only for those who reject Christ, but it's for those who are false teachers, as Peter says, is reserved the mists of darkness forever. Uh, Jesus says outer darkness. You know, dark is scary. A lot of people say, well, I'm not afraid of the dark. How many of you ever been, I'm sure most of you have, the Carlsbad Caverns way down when they turn the lights out? I mean, for about a minute, it seemed like an eternity, doesn't it? I think it's one or two minutes. Turn the lights out down there and no one's saying anything. And that darkness, you know, in the days of the children of Israel in Egypt, it says there was a darkness that could be felt. There was darkness over all the land. God sent a darkness. Wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think it awful to be cast out into outer darkness? That would be enough judgment, wouldn't it? Forever. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't know what's in the dark. There might be crawly things in the dark. Might be something that gets you. Reach out. I don't like that kind of darkness. I like the light. I go in and I turn on the lights. I want all the lights I can find. If the light bill's a little high, I'd rather pay that and do that, do something, do without something else. I like light. I like light when I'm reading. I like light when I'm working. I don't like to work in the dark. And so God's word speaks of of a darkness for people. It's reserved for them. Our time's getting away. We'll have to hurry. Look at this, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. They lead these unstable souls back into sin, those that are not grounded in the Word of God. I tell you, the devil's very sly and very sharp at doing this. And it says, through great swelling words of vanity. You know, there's some folks that are almost so smooth at talking that they can get you to believe all the lies there there are. I have a... They sent me, I didn't order it, but they sent, you know, during the days of the Moonies when they were more up uh, and progressive, aggressive than they are now. Of course, they're still not out of the picture, but there was a time they had a great uh, press on. They sent these videotapes and I'm supposed almost every church and every preacher got them. I've got them down there in the study. And there's about two or three of them. And they're booklets and all. They send in a nice, beautiful package, all for free. comes to you. And I stuck that thing in the TV and was watching it, you know. 
and this fellow on there, he can almost sell you. Now, believe it or not, if you were not stable in the Word of God, he could almost sell you upon the fact that he uh, teaches that Reverend Moon is Christ come again. The Christ that was to return. And it, he, he makes it so slick that the ordinary person would fall for it. Because great swelling words of vanity, they have such a way, such a smooth tongue. And all the time they're baiting you to feed you a lie of the devil. Exactly. And there are more than just the moonies that use that. They preach another Jesus and another by another spirit and another gospel. And Paul says, which is not another. And that's exactly what they do. And they drag people in. And we've got cults all around about us that are doing that very same thing. Not just the moonies. We talk about the the another Jesus and another I have a message on that. I started to preach it today. Another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Paul speaks of in the Corinthians. And there's the Jesus of the modernists. There's the Jesus of the of the uh, Mormonism. Did you know they've got another one on on the TV? They're, they're telling you now. You know what I heard the other day? They're advertising the Book of Mormon, and they're saying this, that this is another testament, another testament of Christ. And that you know where they get the Scripture? They take John, uh, where Jesus said, John 10, where Jesus says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, having no reference thought whatsoever to another testament, and they use that Scripture and twist it around to make, make it mean that there's another testament because he has other sheep has no more relationship than light does to darkness. And yet they make it sound reasonable. See, that's deception, isn't it? If I go out here, if we go out here, turn out all lights, and I go out there in the dark, pitch dark, and I say, it's light out here. Are you going to believe it? you got more sense than that. And yet that's what they're doing. They're saying, I'm leading you out here in darkness, but it's light. I know you can see the light. Not so. Friend. And, and you better watch out, you'll be deceived. And the Christian scientists do the same thing. You have the Jehovah's Witnesses doing the same thing. They give you one little dose of, of truth and they cover it, sugarcoat it with a bunch of lies and they want you to swallow the whole dose at one time. And that's what it is. That's exactly what it is, brethren. And I'm trying to warn you tonight because people are taken in with these various cults. And you say, well, there's some, I know some good people in those. I do too. I have some good people that I just feel so sorry for that are Mormons. I have some good ones that are Jehovah's Witnesses. I have some good uh, friends that used to be in the Christian Sinus. I suppose they still are. But I cannot go along with what they believe. I try to, to tell them what is the truth and the Word of God. But you know, some people are so bound up in, in those cults and different uh, sects of religion that they're going to, are going to be there. There's not much you can do about it but, but stand and bear witness to the truth. And it's sad. And, but these people are great at that. They speak great swelling words of vanity. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those who, that were clean escape from them who live in error. They bring them back, it says, for a little while escaped, as some read in the margin. While they promise them liberty... They themselves are the servants of corruption. Have you ever been promised liberty through some of these various cults? We've got the freedom for you, and yet they put you in bondage to that particular cult. You're, in, you're under their grasp, 
and you do what they say or else. And it's legalistic from the jump go. Everything. And uh, then it says here, they promised them liberty. It says, For of whom a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Look at that. They knew what was right and they rebelled against it. Now, I know here some people take this and say, well, they were saved and then lost. I don't believe so. And I'll give you the reasons for that in a minute. But I want you to see that there's a difference in knowing what is right and obeying what is right. And had they been born again, they would have been of a different spirit and a different character of person. And especially when you get to verse 22. It says, But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to are wallowing in the mire. These false professors are classified as being dogs that turn back and exhibit their own nature and character, right? Or a sow, a pig that's washed. You know, you can take this old sow and you can dress her up real pretty and take her to the county fair, clean her up, wash her down and get all man she's a beautiful thing get all the blue ribbons there is and when you take her back out to the farm and turn her loose in the pen the first thing she's going to head for is a mud hole because she loves the mud it's her nature now God's people to show you that these people were never people of God God's people are never compared to dogs or, or, or pigs or hogs they're always sheep he says the sheep of my pasture you know that? Sheep have a different nature. Now, let me give you some scriptures. Uh, Psalm, just turn back to Psalm 78 and we'll turn through a few pages. Psalm 78, I'll give you a verse. And verse uh, 52, notice what it says here. But made his own people to go forth like sheep. I don't see any dogs there, do you? God's own people are like sheep. And God guided them in the wilderness like a flock. That's his own people. Turn over to the next psalm. is Psalm uh, 79. And I believe it's verse, let's see, 13. 79 verse 13. So we thy people, God's people are what? And sheep of thy pasture. God's people are like sheep. We're people and we're the sheep of this pasture. We will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Turn to Psalm 95 and verse 7. Just right on over now, 95. And verse 7 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. See that? God's people are sheep, aren't they? And then you turn over to Psalm 100, and verse 3. It says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. You could go on and on. And did you know in John chapter 10, 17 times over, Jesus speaks of sheep. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And so this scripture over here that's so much in Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 20 through 22, that's taken out of context and 
is expounded many times to show that a person can be saved and then lost. In other words, he can be a sheep one day and be a dog the next day. I never did see him change that kind of a nature very often. Or he can be a sow one day and a, a, a sheep one day and a sow the next day. I don't think so. I think if you're a dog, you're a dog. I think if you're a sheep, you're a sheep. Uh, if you're a, 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 a pig, you're a pig. And I think if you're a sheep, you're a sheep. And God's people are seen as sheep. And it's the nature, see, the nature of the individual that shows his character. And the nature of these individuals, notice it says in verse 22, that it happened unto them according to the true proverb. You can read it over in uh, the book of uh, Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 26, verse 11. Possibly that's it, where it says the very same thing. So what we're saying here is that God's people are his sheep, and there's a, a difference as wide as there's a great gulf fixed between God's people and the false teachers that Peter was referring to and their character and nature and their way of doing it. And I believe there's that separation and difference today seen in the true people of God and those that are mere professors of religion and preach to, uh, uh, to uh, beguile unstable souls and speak great swelling words of vanity and try to get people to follow their cults and their different religions and some are very ungodly some profess to be godly and holy but the, the main thing is that their teaching is full of uh, falsehood and error so you and I better be on God and we better follow what? God's word and you read it and study it for yourself and follow the word of God and you won't go wrong thank you for your kind attention